This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction and infrastructure projects nationwide. And we're live. Welcome to this week's Safer Than Your Average podcast. On the show this week, we've got an excellent guest here, Jimmy Quinn, President-elect of the Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. Jimmy, if you want to come in and introduce yourself. Hi, Blair. It's uh, yeah, Jimmy Quinn here. I'm very pleased to be here. Thanks, Jimmy. I don't know if you've seen the format of the podcast, but we like to just go right back to the beginning and hear a bit about your background, your story and your early life. If you want to just start us off where you grew up. Yeah, no problems, Blair. So I'm nearly 52. I'll be 52 in October. I was born, not in Scotland, as it happens. I was born in Corby, North Hants. Um, I think it's still called Little Scotland. Um, my father had been laid off from Bells Hill and he was down working um, at the uh, steelworks that was down there in Corby. Um, so I was born there in 68, 7th of October. Uh, I stayed there for a couple of years. I uh, picked up a little bit of a Scottish, uh, an English accent. And then uh, we came back to Glasgow, one of the sort of um, rougher areas of Glasgow at the time, in Carmodrick. Um, went to primary school there, um, grew up, uh, finished my education uh, in the countryside. I moved to a little town called Beath and um, left school with uh, a C in home economics and a D in art and a B in classical studies. Uh, went to a... Um, job fair and met an amazing man called Bill Costley, who you may, some of you may know from Scotland has hotels up and down the west coast. And Bill said to me, listen, young man, you've got home economics and you've got art, so you can be a chef. So I was a chef for a couple of years. It was good. I really enjoyed it. I worked with an amazing chef called Brian Mall, who has his own restaurant now in Glasgow. Some of you may have eaten there. And... Um, I joined the Army at 18, uh, served a full career, 24 years, finished my last two years as the operational one officer in charge of um, operational equipment. And then when I left there, about four or five years before I left the Army, sort of around about 2007, I decided to start getting into health and safety um, as an instructor through my Army career. It was uh, quite a, an easy transition for me to talk about safety. I then met, met a cracking guy uh, called Simon Donnelly, who's now one of my best, best friends. And he took me on as a health and safety advisor. I said to Simon, because he's ex-army, how do, how, what does a health and safety advisor do? He said, I don't know. Just do health and safety stuff and advise. So I did that and managed to get myself to um, uh, do that for a few years. And then got myself out to Abu Dhabi, went to construction, got an education in four years, which have taken some people 15 years. And then came back to the UK, back with Multiplex again, and I'm now working um, on an amazing project um, in Victoria. But prior to that, I was working on the Chelsea Barracks project, where I started my career um, in 1988. So I marched around Chelsea Barracks as a soldier, a young soldier at 19, and then I was marching around it as a 51-year-old man. Brilliant, Jimmy. That's really interesting. Can you tell us a bit more about some of your time in the Middle East, some of the projects that you worked on and some of the interesting stuff that you've been involved in there? 
Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the best things about that about the project. So I went I went out to work for a company called Aljaba, who were going through a bit of a transition at the time. They were probably the biggest privately owned um, construction, transport, um, oil and gas group uh, in, in in the world, if not the Middle East, privately owned. Um, obeyed Al Jabba owned the company, and then his son Mohammed Al Jabba took it over, and they wanted somebody to come in to write a, a safety management system. And again, it was done through um, the Army Network. Um, one of my one of my old muckers that I uh, trained when he was leaving the Army, Matt Jackson, he um, gave me a phone call and said, "Jimmy, there's a job out here. It's got your name on it." So I went out, um, got on really, really well with the MD. Um, a, a cracking, amazing man called Saha Hamid, uh, Lebanese, and uh, he took a punt on me and took me out. After about a year, I'd done my job and I could, uh, they wanted me to hand it over to someone else, which I did. And then very am amazingly, a chap called Matt Hewitt, working for Multiplex at the time, wanted to hire me as a construction health and safety manager. And he said, Jimmy, I'm not hiring you because of your construction expertise, because let's be honest, it's quite minimal. What I want to do is tap into your army background because I'm sure you work with teams, you built teams. Um, I come from an army background myself. And he said, I want you to build me a team. So started off with me on the 1st of August 2015. And I left after building a team of 30 and uh, three health and safety managers, all three of them are now working, one's in Dubai and the other two are working for Multiplex in Canada. So, I mean, that, that was a great thing for me. And one of the other great things about it, Blair, was that coming from an army background where you expect things to be done now, go to a country like the Middle East where everything is not about now. It's, yeah, okay, we'll do it. When? Well, tomorrow. Well, tomorrow's too late. Well, it's tomorrow. And and, and learning to talk to people um, with not so much so robustly in terms of, I want it done, I want it done now. That was a great a great education for me to go out and learn about that culture and speaking to people and, and working with the different cultures as well. It's amazing. Excellent, excellent. And military to health and safety seems to be a well-trodden path in industry. I know from personal experience, the last business that I worked with in the, the rail industry, they had the military to rail programme and they were recruiting people from all across the military and not just safety roles, but more kind of real engineering roles in general as well. What do you think it is about people that have got that military experience that makes them good safety professionals? Yeah, I mean, that's a great shout as well, Blair. I mean, just, just to sort of digress a little bit, a good friend of mine, um, uh, Rory Thompson, who's an ex-officer in the Royal Signals, is doing that exact same thing, getting veterans into, into work on the, the real transport scheme in Canada. Um, and, and the reason why I think veterans are, are so, so good, it doesn't matter if you've done three years or you've done 24 years. The great thing about being a veteran, and this might come across maybe not the right way when I say it, is that when you become a service person, you're kind of broken. So you go in and you have these great visions of how it's going to be. And, and it's not, you've got to be sort of broken like, like a, a wild, wild horse. Um, to then go into that way of thinking where you think about discipline, you think about process, you think about procedure, you are a team player. It, it, it's not, a, they don't just grow on trees, they're developed. And, and I think whether you call it power skills or whether you call it soft skills, those skills are in abundance. And 
when I sat at the Institute of Directors last year, up, up in, up in um, the other side of Edinburgh, it was, I think it was at Glen Eagles, possibly it was Glen Eagles, um, went up there and sat there for the, the conference and I was asked in the panel, you know, where the next big generation of, of, of people could come from to go into industry in Scotland. And I said, you've got an untapped market, whether you're Navy, Air Force, Army, whatever service you're in, in the armed forces, that's, they're the type of people that can move into safety because they're process driven, they understand risk, it's risk is put into their heads from the very day that they start, doesn't matter what service player. Sure, sure. And you mentioned coming back to the UK after working in the Middle East. How did you find the transition coming from the Middle East back to working in the UK market? Well, you know, it, it was a little bit difficult for me because I was out there unaccompanied. So, um, because my wife is is from an army background as well, she did sit 20, 27 years, Karen, and I, and I did 24. We decided that I would go unaccompanied because Karen's, a lot of Karen's family were where we live now. So, coming back, was, was, was two transitions. One, transitioning into uh, a family environment, but also transitioning into, back into the safety environment in the UK. And one of the hardest things was that, that the recruiters um, in terms of health and safety in the UK, when, when you go abroad, it's, it's as if that you go to the Middle East because you can't make it in the UK, which is a bit sniffy and sort of a bit snobbish. But that's definitely the way they looked at it. One recruiter actually said to me, you know, Jimmy, I'm sorry I'm getting for you. You're going to have to maybe look at a, a lower paid and a lower um, appointed job than what you've been doing, just so that people can understand what you're all about. And I thought, well, that's just unbelievable. I worked on the first generation mall where we, where we dropped a, a million cube of concrete in a year. Mm. You know, we were, we were concreting 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I don't think I slept in 2015 to 2016 for more than four hours a night worrying about what was going on on site. So when you're dealing with projects that are a billion dollars worth of value and you've got two of those projects, then I think you've got a little bit of an idea of what you can do. And so coming back in to the UK into health and safety was, 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 was quite demanding. Sure, sure. And did you find that a bit of a challenge then trying to explain the experience that you've had with recruiters um, when you were coming back into that market, trying to explain that your background was that big commercial construction projects, high value projects, the likes of which that we don't often see a huge no. volume of in the UK. Absolutely. I mean, you know, absolutely. Those projects are very, very few and far between. But it was not about, and this, this is the thing it was about, and not giving recruiters a hard time. I mean, some of my good friends are recruiters and but some of them in the larger uh, companies, I don't think the, the, the people that were recruiting and trying to get you on the first stage really knew or had the experience of what it was all about. You know, and I, I, I use the adage that, that, you know, when you go on holiday, the travel reps have been to those places and they've seen those places. Um, they've seen the hotels, they've seen all the, the bars and the restaurants and they understand what's going on in that place. And I got a feeling that some of the people that were, we're, we're, we're talking about the the lack of job opportunities coming back for people that didn't really understand what the challenges were in the Middle East. And if you can work in the Middle East, you can work anywhere. You know, the, the challenges are absolutely up there every single day. You, you know, you lose count of the amount of challenges that you have. So yeah, that, 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 that's, that's sort of where we were. 
So you're the president-elect for the Institute of Occupational Safety and Health at the moment, Jimmy. There's over 90,000 members worldwide, and you're coming in to be the president in the next presidential run. What do you see your big challenges as being going into that? Well, the biggest challenges that I have going into that are it's a global organisation. That's the main thing. Um, and and it's, it's having the ability to be able to speak to all of the people in all of the, the world, so to speak, or the global part, and understanding the needs for each part that they're in. So there's going to be different challenges from the Middle East to Asia, to Europe, to the UK, um, to Australia, to Canada, to America. All these different areas are all going to require different ways of working. And probably trying to look at the next, the next big piece of what we need to do post um, uh, work uh, 2022 that's the next biggest challenge and how we're going to reach globally 2022 wanted us to reach globally now we are reaching globally how do we challenge that Blair? yeah sure sure that's really interesting jimmy i'm going to move on a little bit now and i'm going to ask you the tough question that we normally ask on the safer than your average podcast and it is what's the biggest challenge you've faced in health and safety across your career well, bearing in mind, my, my career is, okay, so my army career is my army career and, and the health and safety is my second career. Mm -hmm. So probably one of the biggest challenges um, is, is getting into the industry. That, 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 was the, that was a big challenge in itself. But I think my biggest challenge in health and safety um, so far is, oh, it's, it's a difficult one that, I mean, if I was to really, really, put something on it, I would have to probably go back to um, the Middle East uh, and go back to Abu Dhabi, go back to the company I was working for, Multiplex, and talk about trying to create a culture where life is life and it's not just a dollar sign. And I'll expand on that. Just like the Olympics uh, with Lawrence Waterman um, back in the day when he did a gap analysis, and he talks about this all the time, he said that when they did the gap analysis on the building the Olympic Village, they, they, they sort of thought they might lose one, possibly two people throughout the development of that project, and it would have so many different injuries. Yeah. And when they came out the other side, they realised that they, all the things that they put in place and all the culture that they changed and made, and talking about safety culture has put so many different strengths to it where we could feel all night, but they put so many things in place and treated everybody exactly the same. They put a lot of bonus on training and a lot of bonus on um, supervision of the black hats, the supervisors, but that's where they made their goals. That's where they made the inroads. And trying to get that same ethos, I did the exact same thing. So the biggest challenge for me was speaking to the commercial people when I went to my first, when I went to that project. This amount of safety, and I said, "No, we need that amount of safety. That's too many." Well, no, balance that. Tell tell us why that's so so not not enough, Jimmy. So I did the same sort of gap analysis, and I looked at it, and I said, "We can work with five thousand men a day on a site over the size of two Wembley." or the size of a whole Wembley Stadium, one and a half, going six floors down and six floors up, and put that amount of concrete in in a year, 
we need to have the correct supervision. And the biggest challenge was selling how important the black hats were. Because at that time, black hats were just a black hat because you'd done, you'd got the experience in the job. But what we did um, at Multiplex then when we were in Abu Dhabi was change that ethos to, to that the black hat was somebody to be revered. And in that culture that's out there, when, when you have a lot of the a lot of the, the workers are coming from from India, North India, South India, Kerala is one of the, the biggest states where a lot of the workers come from. To be a black hat looking after workers on site was an amazing achievement for that person. So that's where we went and, and that was my biggest challenge was selling that commercially, but also trying to sell that to the other project managers that were on the project. That's excellent, Jimmy. Thanks for that feedback on that. That's a really interesting challenge as well. And it factors into taking culture into account, depending on the region that you're working in and the area of expertise that you're working in, and factoring into taking that kind of local culture and into account as well. Aye, and if you and if Blair, if you if you give that responsibility to, to someone that's not one is not really expecting that responsibility and you pull them aside especially within the culture in, in that region of the world and you say, I want you to look after 20 workers, I'm going to give you two gangs, um, this is what you need to do and train them to do that and, and get it. The amount of kudos that comes to that is fantastic because, you know, sometimes you, you see that there's supervisors from maybe um, different cultures that are there and to have someone that's there that's been on the tools, it's, it's, it's a massive promotion and and that's where we went. We really, we had so many black hats, so many supervisors, they were everywhere. And we treated them with the utmost respect. And, and that was another big one, the, the respect side. And if I ever saw or heard one of my safety officers being derogatory or disrespectful to a black hat, then, then that was a robust conversation. Sure, sure. And um, you're now at the top of the tree with IOSH. You're the president-elect. You're operating in the upper echelons. You're very senior in your organisation as well. Where do you see yourself progressing to next, Jimmy? Um, well, uh, <laughs> right, so um, what have we got then? So I'm 52 just now. I'd like to think that I might start slowing down at 55. Um, you know, it's. I, I want to do this next two years. So I'm in my present lecture now and I've been working very hard this year. Uh, I take over in October. So that's, um, that'll be 20, uh, 2020 still. So I then hand over to the next president-elect, October 2021. I do a year as immediate past president, 2021 to 2022. I'm also the vice chair of the IOS construction group. So, and that's a three-year gig from, from last year. So that's three years from now, 55. And then I think after that, at 55, I may pull myself back. I love lecturing, um, I love volunteering, um, I love travelling. Um, so I think a mixture of all those three things, yeah. and, and and maybe sort of um, on a you know, like a non-executive director or something like, and give something back to safety where I'm not necessarily getting a, a wage for it, and maybe do maybe a couple of days, um, sort of um, uh, work, just to keep my hand in. But I see myself slowing it down a bit in the next three years. I've worked massively hard in the last 10 years to, to get to this position and I'm only the second ever serving soldier or armed forces person as well as being a soldier um, to ever have this honour. The first one 
that did that was the amazing Tim Briggs, who, who mentors me as well. I've got a couple of mentors. I've got a couple of older mentors and a couple of younger mentors as well. It's a bit strange to some people, but it, it works fantastically for me. And Tim Briggs was the first one that broke the mould when he was present a couple of years ago. And uh, he was my inspiration to, 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 to be the next um, serving, ex-serving veteran to go into that. And, and doing a lot of stuff with veterans as well. That's, that's where my passion lies. And these next two years, in fact, my year, Blair, is going to be all about veterans in health and safety, young people in health and safety, and well-being. Um, that's the three sort of pillars that I want to try and work on with the IOC senior leadership team in the next uh, year and a half. That sounds excellent, Jimmy. And it probably brings me on to another question. Who's been the most influential person across your career? And it could be your early career in the military or your career in safety. Who's been the one person that stands out as the most influential person in your career to date? That's a, that's a massive, massive question because there's been a number of people, Blair. So if I go back to my army days, you know, I've got people like um, like uh, Ronnie Combray, who was my first platoon sergeant. Uh, my first ever platoon commander was Mark Carlton Smith. Seven, and he's now the 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 the, the um, chief of staff. The chief of staff uh, in in Whitehall. Um, people like uh, my good friend Dave Guyan, uh, who, who was one of who was one of my mentors in rugby coaching, where I got a few tickets to be coach. Um, as my very good friend Simon Donnelly, who gave me my first start. Um, and there's um, a number of people within IOSH that that really sort of saved me in a way, because, you know, that's something I wanted to get across to you as well. You know, IOSH in itself is a sort of role model for me. I know as an organisation organization that sounds a little bit sort of out there, but IOSH as an organisation saved me in a way because I left the army where I'd been for 24 years, my family, and cut it off cold completely, which was a totally wrong thing to do. But then attending IOSH meetings, and, and meeting like-minded people and there were some ex-service people in there as well and, and then they developed me, they helped me improve the skills that I had um, from the army um, they allowed me to use those skills I became a branch member then, became a committee member then, became a council member and all that time progressing me as well so they're a massive role model for me in that way but you know, my biggest sort of role model in life is probably my, my uncle, my godfather Ian He's always been there for me. So a number of role models in different ways, different aspects of my career that brought me to this one place where I am. Now, I would never be the next president of IOSH if I hadn't met these people and, and allowed myself to be developed and mentored by those people as well, Blair. Excellent, Jimmy. Excellent. So you mentioned mentoring young people is going to be one of the cornerstones of your presidency. What advice would you give to someone starting out on the journey to becoming a health and safety professional today? Oh, great question. And you just nailed it there. <clears throat> My analogy on this, Blair, is, is a journey. And the analogy that I use is that out there at the moment, there's so many courses you can get that will give you letters after your name. You could go into study, study hard for two years, work really hard, and you could be that and have so many letters after your name. That, that denotes to certain people that you have all the experience in the world. For me, I really buy into what IOS are trying to do now because 
what IELTS are trying to do is, is create a general practitioner. That's to say that you're not just in FM, you're not just in construction, you're not just um, working um, within the, the services industry or the, the rail industry or different industries. You're a generalist. And I like that idea. Don't get me wrong. You can be a generalist, but you can also be a specialist. Um, and I use sometimes use the analogy of um, Paddy open water diving, because unlike BZAC, the British Subaqua Association, if you become a Paddy diver, then dive and you become specialist in different areas and, and, and dip into different things, which I love. You know, it's, it's a great thing. I love Subaqua. But use that in the way that you just use it in terms of a you can go straight from London to Glasgow, a couple of hours, and go there, get off the train and explore. Fantastic. But the analogy I use is, why don't you go from London to Oxford, come back, then go from London to maybe Sheffield, come back, go from London to Blackpool, come back, maybe even stay in Blackpool, and then go across to Manchester and come back. And all the time coming back to what you know. And then when you're ready, after you've experienced all these different cities and you've been on that train, You've been everywhere. You've seen it all. How many people in, a, in, in that analogy can say they've done that? You know, that's what I see as the best way to become the more rounded health and safety professional. Don't just go from London to Glasgow because you've got that one course and you've got a couple of those letters. Get out there, work with people. And this is one of the things that I want to try and get into the veteran community. Because veterans are saying to me, well, I haven't got the experience. Well, yes, you have. Because there's nothing that says you can't take a day a week and go work for the council and, and work for different areas within the council and develop, get your book developed and start building your experience so that when you do leave the army in two or three years, the best thing my uncle Dean said to me before I left when I joined the army was start working now, son, for when you leave. And that was 24 years later. And there's not a true word said, Blair. Sure, sure. And I get that. When I was starting out my career in health and safety, no one would look at me. I had the qualifications. I had experience of one particular industry. I wanted to move into another industry and I had to look at taking some volunteer work, moving across to construction to get that construction-focused experience. Why not? All the experiences I got through doing the work for free and getting that one day a week, two days a week out on site, getting to understand all the processes so that when you do get that interview for the paying job, you know the ins and outs of it, you know how to speak the language of the people interviewing you. Absolutely. I find that as well a little bit with recruiters at the moment. Um, some recruiters are really, really good, especially the ones that specialise in health and safety. They might look at someone's CV and they've moved about from industry to industry, going over two, three year periods, jumping from job to job. Some people see that as job hopping, but the real kind of winners in that are businesses that recognise that as someone going and getting well-rounded experience. Absolutely. And I think that feeds back to the new IOSH competency framework, which I think is absolutely excellent. It's taking it away from being just a health and safety practitioner and looking at other areas of business. And I'm hoping in the next few weeks to get on the Safer Than Your Average podcast, a person that was a head of safety with a business that's now moved into a managing director's role with that business and made Good. the transition to running the overall business, not just the health and safety aspects of the business. I mean, one of, one, of the, one of the other things there as well is that people have said to me in the construction site, Jimmy, why do you know about temporary works? Why do you know about MEP? Why do you know about this? Why do you know that? Because I'm nosy. You know, I like I have a thirst for knowledge and I, and I like to ask people questions because, you know, Anybody can be a health and safety manager on a construction site. There's hazards everywhere. 
But to go on a construction site and understand why the hazard's happening, understand the job that people are doing, understanding the problems that they have in that job, and even more so now with COVID-19, that's really having an impact in the construction industry about looking at doing things differently. Um, understanding all those different roles, those different jobs is fascinating. And they're absolutely right, Blair. You know, having people that can look at a CV and, and, and look at it and say, that's somebody with experience rather than somebody that's, that's job hopping is, is absolutely key. Sure. And we touched on COVID-19 when we were having a bit of a chat before we started recording today. Yeah. What do you think COVID-19 is going to bring to industry? What changes do you think it's going to bring to health and safety? Well, I, I mean, I, I mean, I brought this up when I was on a, a branch meeting the other day, and I, I, I see the health and safety practitioner now as, as someone who has never been any more needed. And the reason why is, and this is another, this is another key thing, is for me, I will never be your archetypal as it may state, some people have a have a thought of what health and safety manager, advisor, officer looks like. That will never be me. Um, I am, I look at things, I try to be as flexible as I can, always being safe, always looking that my eliminate, my reduce, my isolate control, looking at my, my measures there. That's my measurement. But also being able to think outside the box and, and, and think of different ways to do different things. So, and I think that's what's going to happen now, Blair. But you're going to see a lot more remote working. You're going to have to see, you're going to see a lot more trust um, on, the, on the positive side from managers. Working from home or remote working has always been seen as, as slightly, you know, wonder what they're doing today. Why are they not here at work? Why are they not doing this? And I think a lot of people start to see there's a, there's a lot of what gets done when you can take yourself away from that workplace and you can be somewhere you can still get that work done and get it done very very efficiently if not more i think we're going to see a lot more of that i think when you're looking at certain office certain construction roles that are maybe office based rather than being site based i think you'll see a lot more remote working in that um, a lot more hot desking and um, you're going to see a lot cut down a lot more in travel um, i think there's going to be this is just the start where there's going to be so many changes um, and industry as a whole, not just in my industry, in the construction industry, but from health and safety as a whole. And I think anybody that wanted to get into health and safety and have an aspiration to be different, to think differently, um, to get out there and create different initiatives, um, be out there creating new ideas, this is a great industry to get into now. That's, fantastic. That's, the, positive, that's the positive, Blair. I mean, obviously there's a negative side where there's going to be a lot more, I think, in terms of mental health issues. There might be a lot more in terms of isolation. Um, I could see a role where someone may work from home on a Monday. Uh, sorry, we may go to work on a Monday, because it's very busy. Monday's always the busiest. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, working from home or remotely. And then Friday, coming back in to be with the team before the start of the weekend and, and having a summary of the week's events. I can see the positives and the negatives. Sure, sure. That's fantastic, Jimmy. And 2020 is going to be your year. You're going to be president. Um, when do you actually take up office as the president? Uh, unsure as yeah. It's, it's going to be around about um, be after the, the AGM, but probably around about October, November time. Um, Andrew has got, I think, a month more because the, we've re reset the handover takeover uh, for this year. So I think Andrew ends up doing a 13-month rather than a 12-month 
but somewhere around October, November um, will be the time that I'll take over. But I'm already starting to do a lot of work there just now and already starting to reach out to the presidential team, talking to the, the vice presidents that will be in post uh, when I take over and, and, and people that I've worked with in the presidential team for, for the last um, two years. Um, so that's very interesting as well to, to be that ambassador um, and, and to be the chair of council as well and also to be an ambassador that, that takes the message from, from IOSH and, and, and really takes that message out and want, want people to see us in this next year. I want everyone to know the names of every member of the presidential team. I want us to be out in branches um, and, and it's going to be a lot better for us because we're able to go into it. I mean, I did three webinars in the last three days, Blair. Um, or the last day, sorry, I've done three webinars all in Scotland. It's been fantastic, which I wouldn't have been able to do um, post, uh, before COVID. And we really appreciate you getting involved in the Save Little Than Your Average podcast, Jerry. It's been it's great having your support. You're going to be the visible presidential team in this run. How do people get in touch with you if they want to get in touch with you? Well, I'll probably get into trouble, but I don't really care. Um, I am I am me, and, I, and I'm hoping that's what people are going to see, that this, this, that this me being president is about me. Um, I'm not clever enough to be anything other than me. I want people to embrace that. Um, I want people to approach me. I want people to call me. I want people to email me. But um, the email I will give will be um, the one that you have, the james.quinnatios.com. Quite happy to take any any emails there. Just just to be aware though, to be the president of IOS, to be the ambassadorial lead for over forty eight thousand members globally, it's it's about the ambassadorial side. So the ambassadorial side I can I can take and I help and I can assist with. I, but also as president, because I talk to the senior leadership team all the time, um, I'm able to pass messages on. So. Even though the emails might come to me, you'll probably find that I would pass them on to the heads of department that would of their team members uh, to sort out. So I would probably pass the, the emails along, um, and then I would probably raise some of those emails if they were of an ambassadorial nature. Because going forward, the presidential team will be meeting every month and not every quarter, and we'll also be meeting with the the, the, the head of global engagement, Alan Stevens at IOSH, um, every month as well. So. There's going to be a, a lot of a lot of um, opportunities for people to get in touch with me and get in touch with my team uh, post October. That's really exciting, Jimmy. We're really looking forward to you taking up post, and I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you very much for your time. If there's anything else you want to sum up on, please feel free to. No, it's been an absolute pleasure, Blair. A very very humbling experience um, to come and speak to you, and I wish you every success. Um, especially now, this is going to be a great podcast and anything I can do in the future, anything you need, anything that's within my remit, uh, I'll be only too happy to help. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and meeting you, sir. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much, Jimmy. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction and infrastructure projects nationwide.